Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Hello, welcome to episode 103. Today I have a special treat for you. Um, Instead of an author that has just gotten started, we have an author that has been doing this for almost 30 years, Edward Willett. He writes sci-fi, but he also compiles and edits compendiums of sci-fi with some of the best sci-fi authors out there. We talk about the latest book that's coming out. Uh, He also does a podcast where he interviews these authors and that's what part b is for talking to authors about podcasting uh, and interviewing guests that are um, bigger names guests that uh, everybody's heard of we talk about how that might be different we talk about what it's like to compile and edit short stories for other authors so it's a great interview great conversation we did this uh in the snowy Christmas time, which I find interesting because here it is mid-April for me and I'm looking outside and it is still snowing. So uh, there's kind of a bookend here for that episode. Also, a lot of people have said they love the podcast and I think that's great. Uh, I try and get good, interesting authors and talk to them with interesting topics and good books. And one of the things that would be great is if people left reviews, left some stars, some thumbs up. Uh, to help out the podcast. The more people that listen, the better it is for everybody. Me as the podcast uh, creator and the authors who are writing these great books. But also if you would really like to help uh, with my my time, I spend money for the hosting. I spend money for the publishing of the podcast. There's various fees and costs to do this. Uh, What would be great is I'm including some sponsor links in the show notes and on the website. So if you're going to use one of these services that I use like Blueberry or using WordPress or hosting with DreamHost, if you're going to use one of these, go click on that link and then sign up for it because it doesn't cost you anything more and it would give me a little bit that could help defer the costs for all the episodes. So you've probably heard that spiel before. Uh, It rings true everywhere. So check out my sponsored links. Give me a shout out it would help a lot so here's david edward i want to officially welcome you to uh discovered wordsmith podcast how are you doing this morning i'm doing fine thanks for having me on yeah it's great we got to connect kind of last minute so it fills in some time that's perfect so before we get started talking about your book why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself what you like to do where you live that type of thing I live in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, but I'm not from here originally. I was born in Silver City, New Mexico, where Billy the Kid shot his first sheriff, apparently. Uh, (laughs) And uh, then we lived in Texas, and I moved up here from Texas as a kid. Wow. Uh, I've I've lived here ever since. Started my career as a newspaper reporter, photographer for a weekly newspaper. And then at the ripe old age of 24, I was the editor, the news editor of that newspaper. And I did that for a few years. And then I was communications officer for the Saskatchewan Science Center here in Regina. And uh, then 20, what is this? This is so 29 years ago, I quit my job and became a full-time freelance <laughs> writer. Nice. So 
uh, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. So going into journalism was actually just my way of admitting that you couldn't make a living as a writer right away. And as a reporter, I thought at least I would be writing and also making a living. And that's pretty much the way it, it worked out. So now, currently, I know you often talk to aspiring authors. I'm actually quite well established, I guess, at this point. <laughs> um, I have more than 60 books of uh, nonfiction, science fiction, and fantasy for readers of all ages, won a few awards. I have my own publishing company now, run my own podcast. So Nice. Uh, yeah. I'm way down that road of trying to do what you want with the one goal I would still like to reach is making lots and lots of money. That's the one I haven't quite gotten to yet. After people are on this podcast, that's when they hit the bestseller times list oh, and they go on to the best thing. So you're on your way now. So you've done a lot of journalism. How do you think that's helped you with your writing? I think one of the great things about, especially at a weekly newspaper, was that we did everything. So in a week, I would write all kinds of news stories, but I also would interview people and write features. I was writing three feature stories a week, maybe interviewing different people, talking whatever. I, everybody from televangelists to Everest mountain climbers to politicians. And so I, and I think the other great thing about that was that you just had to write, right? The newspaper came out on Wednesday and you had to have your stories done on Tuesday or, or Monday or whenever. And you did. You couldn't just say, I don't feel like writing. Uh, you had to write. And the one thing I have, and I think it's partly from that, is if I sit down at a keyboard, yeah, I procrastinate because everybody does, <clears throat> but it's not writer's block. I can always write. If I just start my fingers moving, I can write. And I think uh, that was partly that discipline from that came out of there. And the other great thing about journalism is that you talk to so many, as I said, you talk to so many different people, you learn so many different things. A good journalist knows that he doesn't know a lot about anything and asks the questions to try to learn so that he can then convey that information to readers who also don't know anything about the topic. So it's a great self-education program, uh, assuming that you're doing it to find out you know, what people really know and not trying to impose your own ideas, which unfortunately I think happens a lot in journalism these days. But yeah. my, my newspaper, my a journalism professor was an old Chicago newspaper guy <laughs> in the 40s. He was working in newspapers in Chicago. So he came from a different era for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I, I like that too, because you, I, I do a lot with computers and sometimes it's good learning programming to go back to a generation or two and get where that's coming from the basics. Because some of the stuff now, it's so easy, you get bad habits or you learn things incorrectly and it actually make, makes it take longer. I can imagine journalism can be the same way when all you have is a notepad and a typewriter. It's different than the internet and a word processor. Yeah. Uh, different habits, different uh, skills. I, I think that could be you, beneficial. You had to ask questions, that's for sure. It's not like, oh, I'll Google that later and then yeah. trust it's the right information. Yeah, so, I, It's been a long time since I did journalism, so I don't even know what it's like to do it now. Yeah, and I was in the 80s when I was doing it. Okay. You lived basically in the desert in Texas and then moved to Canada. So I imagine that- It wasn't the that... desert. It wasn't the desert. Well, it was the panhandle. So it's like cotton country. Okay. Okay. All right. But the landscape doesn't change between here and there. It's all flat. <laughs> got it. Got it. But it's definitely different weather. As How do you like that? Because right now I live in Northeast Ohio and it's snowing really hard right now. And I love it. I love the snow. 
I was a bit disappointed. We moved up in August. And of course, when you're a kid, what do you know? It was 1967. The first thing I hoped when we moved to Canada was that I'd get to go to Montreal Expo 67. And my parents gently explained to me that we were as far away from Montreal here in Regina as we were when we were in Texas. It's pretty much the same distance, 2,000 miles or something. No, we would not be going to Expo 67. And my other disappointment as an eight-year-old was I had this image that when we hit the border, there'd be this wall of snow. Once you got to Canada, it was snow all the time. And no, it was, of course, summer. And we have the record temperature here in Saskatchewan for the summer is 114 degrees or something. So there was no snow. Um, But there was come winter. And the the thing that people kept telling us, uh, oh, if you think this is cold, just wait. When it got to 40 below and they were still saying it, we realized they were pulling our leg a little bit. But you get used to it. And now I, I do like snow. Okay, here it snowed. The first time in very early November, and we've had it ever since on the ground. And we had a really cold snap over Christmas. But I went out and walked around the lake. There's a a lake downtown here. It's about five kilometers around. I went out and walked around the lake at uh, minus 34 Celsius, which is like minus 20, minus 30 Fahrenheit. With the wind, wind chill is like minus 47 Celsius, which is 50 something Fahrenheit. And I went and walked around the lake. So you get used to it. (laughs) See, I would love that because honestly, I lived in San Diego for a while, which is really boring weather. It's the same all the time. I actually have an ant there. Yeah. So when we don't have snow, especially in December, it's come on, it's Christmas. So I I think I'd enjoy that at least some of the time. It's the length of it. So it comes in November and it could be, it'll be sometime in April before it's all gone. And you can still get a late snowstorm up until. Victoria Day weekend, which is the third weekend in May, I can remember here having big wet snowfalls that late. So it does, and especially if you have a house and you have to shovel, and we have a shoveling bylaw now, so you have to have your shovels out there and get it done within 48 hours or you could get ticketed. So wow. they're not actually enforcing it, I don't think, quite yet. It's more of an informational year, but uh, <laughs> that's, get used that's to what it. the bylaw actually says. Yeah. If nothing else, if there's lots of snow on the ground and it's bitter cold, Lots of good time for writing. So <laughs> yeah. there's another thing to help force you into the writing. Yeah. So <laughs> that is, there is, there's one argument why there are so many writers from Saskatchewan because population is about a million. We've got one of the most active, the Saskatchewan Writers Guild is one of the most active writer organizations in Canada. And the argument is that there's been nothing else to do here in the wintertime, which isn't true, but that is the cliche. Right. I, I, I love that. And you always think differently of other countries because you only see it through a small lens in movies or news or yeah. whatever. So it's interesting to go to another place and actually experience it. So it's good to hear that it's not snow when you hit the border. That's no. something we should know. <laughs> um, there, was, there was one year when it, we were in a course tour from my high school, and it was literally like that. It was spring. And we crossed the border and it was literally, there was snow on one side of the border and there wasn't on the other. But that's the only time I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times with our freeway right here near near us. It's rain on one side, not on the other. It's like the weather hits the freeway and changes or something. Yeah, it's funny. There are places like that all over. Yeah. When you originally uh, began writing, what spurred you to want to start? Why did you want to write? And you've been writing your whole life. I wanted to write because I was a reader. I was a huge reader. I learned to read in kindergarten, actually. My te- our teacher taught us the sounds associated with the letters, phonics, and I taught myself to read from that. So by the time I got to grade one, I could read. They actually skipped me straight into grade two. 
which also contributed to my being a reader because I was always like a year and a half younger than everybody else in my class. And sports was never a thing for me. I think it may have been partly because I was you know, a year and a half younger than all the other guys right. who were running over me on the football field and things like that. Although I did play football because I did get size later. <laughs> but, so it was reading and my, I had two older brothers and they read science fiction. Or so there was science fiction around the house. So that's what I gravitated to very early on. And I wrote my first short story when I was 11 years old. It was just something to do in a rainy day. And it was called Castro Glass Hypership Test Pilot, which pretty much shows you where my brain was at age 11. Heavily influenced by Heinlein and Andre Norton and Arthur C. Clarke, and Isaac Asimov, the big writers of the day. And I enjoyed writing that story. And I had a junior high teacher, I guess it was. I was 11, which would have put me in grade eight, because again, having skipped a year. And um, he took my short story and he did a proper critique of it. He said, I don't understand why your characters did this. And this didn't make sense to me. And I've credited him ever since with giving me that little spur to keep yeah. going and to start to do better. And in fact, I dedicated uh, The City Born, a novel that came out a few years ago to him. Tony Tunbridge was his name. And so I kept writing all through high school. I wrote longer and longer stuff. I wrote three novels in high school. So nice. <laughs> I decided pretty early on that writing was what I really wanted to do. And it was basically because I wanted to tell stories that readers would appreciate and enjoy as much as the stories that I had read and enjoyed uh, as a reader. Nice. Three in high school. I know I talked to one girl who's 10 and wrote a uh, picture book. So I, I like hearing when kids are young. I, I actually have them right here. Let's see. Is this the first one? That one doesn't have a cover anymore. But here's an example. They all look like this. I learned to type. I was my fastest typer. And they're all in red binders like this. All Ready typed up on our little portable typewriter. Yeah. Wow. And, and in fact, I keep. I started scanning it. On the thought that I would put out a uh, just an ebook of Slavers of Falk, which was my magnum opus in high school, um, but I'm afraid if I do, it'll sell better than my grown up stuff, and that would be. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll be in trouble. You have to go back tra time travel back to high school. Uh, tell us about tell us about your current book, but also mention your other books and series. Tell us about what you have written. Give us the name and what it's about. I can't list everything I've written, but my main publisher is Daw Books in New York, one of the major science fiction and fantasy publishers. Yes. My most recent thing for them was a three-book series. I hoped it would be longer, but it's three books uh, called World Shapers. And I may continue to write it from, you know, and publish it myself, which was a lot of fun. It was uh, complicated to explain, but look up World Shaper, Master of the World, and The Moonlit World. And it's basically in a labyrinth of shaped worlds where people from our world have made worlds as they would like them to be, like writers living inside their own worlds. And my main character is traveling from world to world and has to find the shaper of each world and gather the knowledge of the making of that world and carry it all to a central mysterious figure at the center of this labyrinth uh, to try to save it all from destruction. There's an adversary who's coming through and messing everything up and wants to hunt down the, this person at the center. And it's, uh, it was, it's a lot of fun to write because every book is different. The first one was set in a version of our world, but it wasn't quite our world. Lacrosse was the big professional sport, and you know, there's a instead of the White House, uh, the president lives in the Emerald Palace, and, <laughs> and then in the second book, the Master of the World was based on Jules Verne, so it's all you know, steampunk and weird submarines and flying wow. machines and things like that. And then the Moonlit World was uh, the short version of it is werewolves and peasants and vampires. Oh my! 
because that's what's it's a gothic kind of an adventure and the the next one which is planned but i haven't written yet will be set in a kind of a film noir world with gangsters and humphrey bogart type stuff so sounds like right up my alley the setup was that i could write any story in any world i wanted using this framework unfortunately i think to a large extent probably because of covid hitting was this this was going on that the dawes decided not to carry on with that series uh, but i will probably carry it on with my own publishing company my most recent that's not the one we're going to talk about which is an anthology but my most recent novel is a young adult novel called uh, star song which actually goes way back it was the first novel i ever wrote and over the years it's come close to being published a few times in fact it was almost published 1994 or something like that the editor said i was ready to make an offer on it but the publisher died his son took over and the son said we're not publishing that creepy science fiction stuff anymore and that was it and i never found a home for it and now it's come out uh, and a new edition i don't have a copy of it handy at the moment and then the next thing coming out from daw though for my main publisher will be a, a humorous space opera called the tangled stars um the main one of the main characters is a genetically uplifted talking cat so that gives you some idea of, <laughs> of what kind of story it is he becomes captain of the starship at one point so not- That'll be out this fall, I believe. I like how, because the series you were talking about with jumping around in the worlds, I, I love that because it not only is sci-fi, but it has almost different genres for each book. So it gives you that ability. And I've always pushed back against the, oh, you have to publish the same genre or, or people aren't going to read any of your stuff. Uh, so That was I, the idea. I, being the egotistical writer type that I am, I, I can write anything. And this framework would let me write anything, yet still within a science fictional framework, but it would be an example of, so I've had my vampire story now and steampunk story. And the first one was basically urban fantasy because it was set in a world very much like ours. And although it does have a science fiction backstory, it's about aliens and super technology. The feel of the story is like a portal fantasy because you're going through these magic portals from world to world. So again, I was mixing up the genres a bit there too. And the other inspiration, of course, was Doctor Who, which is the greatest storytelling framework ever conceived, because you can literally tell any kind of story set anywhere at any time within that framework. Right. And you don't even have to be consistent because the timelines change and things that you think happened actually didn't happen now. (laughs) Yeah, it drives me crazy with people that start arguing about Doctor Who canon. And I'm like, seriously? It's 50 some years now or something. and. Who's really going to catch all of that? Slightly insane to try to make it. <laughs> and so the series uh, that Daw was publishing, uh, I'm sure has fans and readers, but they don't want to publish it anymore. And you're able to do it on your own. That's the, the great benefit of the world we live in now is you can continue that for the readers that want that instead of it just disappearing from the world. I love that. Yeah. And I started the publishing company. It's called Shadow Paw Press. It's named after our cat, uh, who, oddly enough, is also the model for the aforementioned cat in the upcoming book. And I started it with two projects in mind. One was a collection of my short fiction called Pass of the Stars, which was the first book I published. And then the second one wasn't me at all. It's the First World War memoirs of my wife's grandfather. He wrote them late in life, and I brought them out in a little book called One Lucky Devil. And, uh, but I could never have done that a few years ago. And this new publishing landscape enabled me to find a way to bring books out that I couldn't find, get out any other way, but I still think 
they were worth putting out. And that first book, my collection of short stories, it's very hard to find a publisher for, for short story collections, uh, especially if you're not well known as a short story writer. And it, you know, I had enough to make a book, but it was going all the way back to when I was 20 years old in order to find enough published stories, because I just don't write that many of them. And it, it was nominated for two uh, book awards here in Saskatchewan. It wasn't that I was putting out something that didn't <laughs> didn't deserve to be published, I felt. And I've continued to do that now with Shadowpaw Press. A lot of it has been books that have been orphaned by other publishers. I have a five-book young adult series. The publisher went bankrupt, so those all came back to me, and I put them out, Shards of Excalibur series, and other publishers that went bankrupt or closed down, and I got the rights back. I put those out. But then I have the new stuff like Star Song that I mentioned, and the book uh, that just came out, which is this anthology that comes out of my podcast, which is called, this is Shapers of Worlds Volume 2. There was a Volume 1, and it's all short fiction by author, authors, science fiction, fantasy authors who were guests on my podcast, which is called The World Shapers. And so Shadowpaw Press is, and it's expanding. I'm actually publishing books by two other authors I've contracted to do that this year and see if I can expand into being more of a traditional publisher where I publish other authors' work. We'll see how that goes. Nice, <laughs> nice. Let's talk about the the books for a second, the new ones, the anthology, the hmm. Paper of Worlds collection. That's the newest I, one, correct? I have one right here. <gasps> Imagine that. That's great. This is Shapers of Worlds Volume 2, 546 pages of fiction. And uh, I'll have to put my reading glasses on to see who's in it, actually. So there's new fiction. You'll recognize some of these names. By Kelly Armstrong, Marie Brennan, Helen Dale, Candace Jane Dorsey, Lisa Foyles, Susan Forrest, James Allen Gardner, Matthew Hughes, Helly Kennedy, Lisa Kessler, Adria Laycraft, Ira Naiman, Garth Nix, Tim Pratt, Edward Savio, Brian Thomas Schmidt, Jeremy Shaw, and some guy named Edward Willett. And then there's reprints from Jeffrey A. Carver, Barbara Hambly, Nancy Kress, David D. Levine, S.M. Sterling, and Carrie Vaughn. Wow. So that's that one. And the first one had, which is over here, actually, Papers of World Volume 1, had my first year, some of my first year guests on it. It had a little less original fiction, but it had new stories from Seanan McGuire, Tanya Huff, David Weber, Ellie Modisett Jr., DJ Butler, Christopher Rocchio, John C. Wright, Shelley Adina, and me, and stories from John Scalzi, David Brin, Joe Haldeman. If you had told me as a teenager, I'd be publishing Joe Haldeman. Uh, Julie Sinead, Fonda Lee, Dr. Charles Egannon, Gareth L. Powell, Derek Kunskin, and Thorea Dyer. So I've had 40-some authors now that wow. I've published short fiction by through these anthologies. Nice. And we're going to talk podcast uh, coming up for the author segment of uh, the show. So you said you don't write a lot of short stories. What gave you the idea to take all these authors that you talk to and get stories from them to compile into one? One of the things from founding Shadowpaw Press was as a publisher now, I was able to join Sask Books, which is the professional association of publishers in Saskatchewan. In fact, I'm currently their vice president. I'm on the board now. and. At our annual meeting in 2018, this uh, woman came in from a small press in Winnipeg. Who had comic, she had comic book connection, and she had very successfully done a kickstarted anthology. She'd raised $100,000 for this anthology and published And I'd never heard of these authors. And I, thought, I know some authors. I should see if I can do a Kickstarter. Well, that was a bit of a scary process, not having done it before, but it, the first one worked. I raised $16,000, basically didn't raise 100000 I think it was the comics connection, because comics people are really big on Kickstarters. Yeah. And I think that may be why she got such an oversubscription to her anthology. And I scraped by, but at least... And so the first one came out, and I thought, well, that was cool. I guess I could do it again. And so I did it again, and it worked. And so I'm currently assembling 
the Kickstarter for Shapers of Worlds Volume 3, which will launch in March and has another great collection of authors. I've been getting reprints from people like Cory Doctorow and F. Paul Wilson, and I've got Cat Rambos in there and James Morrow. And so, again, a really fantastic collection of authors. It may be a little thinner than this one. It may only be about 400 pages instead of <laughs> 540. <laughs> That, I, I love you just mentioned F. Paul Wilson, because I do a geek podcast with a friend of mine, and he was just talking about uh, Repairman Jack from F. Paul Wilson, and that was on it. So. Yeah, he was a guest. Uh, again, this would have been in my third year. I'm well into my fourth year of guests now. I'm already thinking next year, there'll be hopefully a volume four. Um, and uh, yeah, he was a great guy to talk to, too. And, and they're all sci-fi-ish stories? My focus is entirely on talking to science fiction and fantasy authors or authors in the fantastical realm Yeah, on my podcast. And uh, so that's what the anthologies are there. They, they don't have a theme like a lot of anthologies do where it's all about what if Hitler had won the Second World War, that kind of theme. It's more of a, I call it an author showcase or a cabinet of curiosities. It's whatever the authors want to provide that they feel will showcase them or a story that they would really like to write and, and get out there. I've only rejected one story, and that was because it was would have pushed me way past the kind of PG-13 I was looking for. This one would have put me into the X somewhere, I think. So, so I said, could you send me something not quite so much like that? And she did, and it was fine. <laughs> Agree. I like that PG sci-fi, some of the newer stuff that tries to get a little grittier or whatever, isn't it? But then again, like you said, uh, Doctor Who, Star Trek, I'm from that same era watching those shows in the 60s, 70s. So that probably influences my thinking a lot. And I also want my, I also want the anthologies to be gateway drugs, if you like, for younger readers, right. as, an, as anthologies certainly were for me. I devoured all kinds of short story collections and anthologies when I was getting into reading science fiction. I have a couple of them back there on my shelf, really old ones from the 50s, a two volume set called Adventures in Space and Time, I think, or something like that with some really great old stories in it. Uh, and I would, and while I realize that teenagers are perfectly capable of reading X and R-rated stuff and have been known to do, I would still prefer that it that you get a differing level of comfort and I would like this to be accessible to younger right. readers, school right. libraries, that kind of thing. Nice. And, and I love with sci-fi that you can talk religion and politics and make statements without really getting too offensive or without people like coming down because it's a different world. It's a different people. It just so happens that the politics and religion represent what we see in today's world, that type thing. Star Trek, the great one from Star Trek was the two guys, one was you know, white and black yeah, and that's... white making the statement back in the sixties, but they got away with it with the censors because it was aliens and they looked weird. So I love that about sci-fi. You normally write novels. How does it, for you, how is it to go and write a short story? Is it difficult? Do you enjoy it? I enjoy it. I just don't tend to think in short story terms. When I get ideas, they tend to quickly blossom into something that would make a novel. My short story in Shapers of Worlds Volume 2 is actually a prequel to my new novel, The Tangled Stars. So it introduces the characters. And it's, it's actually, a lot of it is verbatim from what's in the novel. When I got to that point in the novel and I was providing backstory, 
And then when I was coming time to write a short story, I thought, well, first of all, it'd be nice to promote the novel in, <laughs> in the anthology. But second, I thought, well, that's actually a short story on its own, how these characters met and met and rescued this cat from the terrorists who are planning to use him as a walking bomb. That's the premise of the short story on Luna. And so I just took a chunk that I had from the novel and I was able to then carry on with it and make it into a short story. Sometimes I'll get a shorter idea. It just doesn't happen very often. And I, I just don't think in terms of short story. I think that's true of a lot of authors. There's some authors who think who pretty much only write short stories and some authors who only write novels and some who cross over. But I think most of us have a length we tend toward. Right. And uh, for me, a short story just quickly expands out. And anytime I write a short story, I can think there's actually a novel hiding in there. <laughs> and I like that you used the short story format for the prequel to introduce and possibly lead people that read the anthology into your series. I know that would a lot be nice. of authors do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like to read things like that. It's like, oh, that was great. I'm going to go check out this author's other stuff. And of course, I was the editor of the anthology, so I could do whatever I wanted. So. Right. <laughs> you're, you're the editor and publisher. Oh, sure. That's a nice, uh, I have the power. What have uh, the feedback from readers been of the stories? Oh, really good. As, as far as you can tell from reviews and so forth, they run in that sort of four-star range. Anthologies are always interesting in reviews because people will say, I didn't like all the stories. And yeah, of course you didn't. And there's a huge variety. They go from YA fantasy to cyberpunk to hard SF. It's, everything's in there. Uh, so of course you're not going to like all the stories. And I think when reviewers will sometimes then they mark the book down because, well, there were some stories they didn't like. You're never going to get an anthology where you like every single right. story, but it seems to people seem to like it, and the backers seem to be pleased with what they backed and helped make uh, happen. Uh, and I think a lot of them came back for the second anthology, and I hope a lot of them come back for the third Kickstarter. I'll be starting up here shortly. <clears throat> and, and like you said, a lot of people have different opinions and feelings. It's funny because you'll read one review that says, "Oh." Writer X, that story sucked. I never want to read anything. There's a very next review. Man, Writer X was the best. I bought all their stuff and read it in a weekend. You get the total difference. Yeah, reviews are, you go on there and you'll see how many one-star reviews Shakespeare gets. <laughs> you can't please everybody. Exactly. So you've got multiple books and series out. And I know the anthology is lots of different authors, but some of your stuff, the latest ones would you rather have if you had a choice would you rather turn your books into movies or tv shows oh a tv show offers you the space in which to do a more thorough adaptation of the book so if what i really wanted to see was the book on screen especially the world shapers and there was some effort i had somebody out there <clears throat> who was convinced she was going to be able to get a netflix deal or something with the uh, world shapers hasn't happened as it usually doesn't when you get that <laughs> kind of excitement over something. But that one, I certainly think, could have made an episodic television series because of the moving world. Think Quantum Leap or... I was just going to say that. Which they're remaking, apparently. But on the other hand, the movie has that sort of grander feel to it. Uh, we've been, I've been watching... I never read Foundation, oddly enough, for my era. But I very much enjoyed the TV. I know it must be wildly different from the books, but I very much enjoyed the TV series. Uh, and I think the new Dune movie seems to have done a really good job on capturing. I know it's a two-parter, though, because, again, they couldn't actually cram it into one book. So I think overall I would probably say TV series because it gives you a chance to 
really identify with the characters and grow with the characters. The movie is a bit more hit or miss. Either it lands or it's a complete bomb. Right, right. <laughs> if it bombs, you may never want another one of your books. So I think TV series is the way I would go. And, and, Depending on how much money they offered. Then I, that's how I'd actually make the decision. <laughs> right. And I think the thought on that is changing over time because it's only been in recent years with streaming services and COVID especially kickstarted it is that they're really putting money and time into the shows. When we were kids, the shows, Star Trek and stuff, low budgets, they didn't give as much love from the companies. And movies, books in the movies have always been, the book was popular, so we're going to make money on it. Let's not spend too much in case we lose money. But I think that thinking is changing and they're realizing, oh, we can really put money in the TV shows and people are paying to get them. And movies are big if we are tr more true to the source, because a lot of times they didn't used to be. Well, and the other thing, of course, is that you can put anything on screen now, things that yeah. were impossible. Yeah. I remember reading City on the Edge of Forever in Star Trek, and Harlan Ellison famously, of course, wrote this script, which was unusable for them in a <laughs> weekly TV series. But his original idea called for this vast valley with i don't know giant statues and lightning and stuff going on and they said no what we got is a paper mache circle with some newsreel footage in the middle yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now you could do that and it's however grand your vision it all just comes down to some guys sitting in front of computers right. making it look real uh, and that's one reason i think we're in a golden age of science fiction yes, fantasy. yes. The, other, the other series i always go to is the expanse which i just love we're binging it right now because I'd watched most of it, but my wife hadn't. And now we're watching it together from the beginning. Nice. And uh, it's just, you think about what we would have thought of that as kids if something like that had appeared on the screen with that level of the original Star Wars. That's one reason it was, it blew us away because we'd never seen anything like that put on screen with that, that, uh, that level. And now you, anybody can do it. Yep, absolutely. I, I, in fact, I made that comment when I saw Lord of the Rings and all the goblins were crawling down the columns and swarming. And I'm like, now they can do anything on screen. And, and one quick comment on Quantum Leap. Personally, hey, we're a video and I'm spilling coffee down, my friend. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Uh, personally, I'm I love Quantum Leap, and I really don't want to see a show unless they get Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. That's the only two people I can imagine in those parts, but that's me. You get Scott Bakula back. He's not dead. Jim. He's not, but you know, I don't know if he'd work as well as Al. All right. So your books, I assume we can get them on Amazon and everywhere else. Do you have websites and places people can go find more info? Do I have websites. Uh, my main website is edwardwillett.com. Two T's on Willett, W-I-L-L-E-T-T. -T. I'm on Twitter at I'm on Instagram at Edward Willett Author, and uh, I have a YouTube channel, Edward Willett, uh, where I do almost daily walks, actually live-streamed walks. It's actually what I put a lot of on there. So it's like a vlog. I talk about my writing, but I'm also walking around Regina and showing. When I walked around the lake and it was 35 below, I, it was a live-streamed walk. So that's the main for me. Then the publishing company has shadowpawpress.com, uh, and you can download eBooks directly from it or order print books. And it's also on Twitter at Shadowpaw Press. It's on Instagram at Shadowpaw Press. <laughs> that one has the same URL for everything, the same name, but somehow my own, I got Edward Willett, E. Willett, Edward Willett author. <laughs> I don't know. Those are the main ones. And then of course the podcast is the 
World Shapers and the worldshapers.com is its website. And then again, just the World Shapers on nice. site. Nice. So when you're walking around and it's negative 39, that cold, you don't have to like take your words and thaw them out before we can hear them. <laughs> just... It can. I'm wearing a scarf and I've got a toque down to here and then I've got a hood up. So there's only this much exposed skin, wow. basically. And so I might sound a little muffled, but the, the words themselves are kept warm behind my scarf. Okay. Well, we've already talked about some of your favorite books and authors. Do you have any others to mention that you haven't already? I come from the era when it was the ones that I've already mentioned, basically. Right. Uh, my, the most, and of course, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, uh, the obvious ones. And these days, I don't read as much as I did as a kid. Or I read just as much, but I'm spending way too much time reading stuff on the internet, which really annoys me. I'm currently reading Six of Crows because my daughter's a big reader, and uh, she, we watched Shadow and Bone, and both of us were way more interested in the, the gangster characters than we were in the main story, which I thought was... Uh, so I'm reading Six of Crows, which is the sort of the gang from that. I don't know if you saw the series or not. And uh, so I sometimes read stories that she recommends to me now, which is interesting. Nice. All right, so before we move on to some author stuff, Edward, tell everybody one last time why they should go out and buy uh, this anthology. This anthology contains stories by not only some of the best-known, internationally best-selling, best-selling authors out there, like Garth Nix, but also by newer authors that you may not know, but who are going to be big, or at least deserve the attention, whether they ever make it to that level or not. So it's a mixture of newer authors. Some are out of left field, like Kelly Kennedy, who's a historian here, writes orphan black novel novelizations. That's where she comes from. Lisa Foyles, who has a, a story in here, is best known as an actress who is on one of the Nickelodeon shows, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. So it's a mixture of people. You've got big names. You've got So it's an opportunity to really encounter a lot of writers, some of which you'll know, some of which you won't all of which who are presenting you with a story that they really think showcases their storytelling and, and what they can do. Nice. Great. It, it sounds a lot like, what was that? Was it Orson Scott Card had the series Writers of the Future? Or who was that? Oh, right. L. Ron Hubbard. The yeah. So there's like 50, 60, whatever anthologies each year came out with something. So. The difference here, of course, is that all of these were guests on my podcast. So the other nice thing about this is if you read a short story in there that you really like, you can go over to the podcast and listen to an hour-long interview with that author talking about their creative process and how they got into writing and all of that kind of stuff. So it's a really nice uh, cross-fertilization going on. There. Right. Yeah, I love that. Different media and easily finding out about the other authors. That's great. Edward, thanks for sharing all the books. I appreciate that. Definitely fits right up my realm because... I don't have 500 books already to read. So, <laughs> well, I've only got about 20 novels. It'll just be a little blip on top of all of that. If the snow keeps up, I might not have much else to do. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled, and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.